What's up, guys? Welcome back to In My Non-Expert Opinion. I'm your host, Chelsea Reif. And if you're a first-time listener, this podcast covers lifestyle, travel, business, and lately a lot about just living life on your own terms. I am currently in Australia. I live in Bondi Beach in Sydney. And if you've been listening for a while, you know the beginning of my podcast since I moved have been a few updates. So I'm going to update you in real time. I have been all over the place. I had crazy holiday season. I talked about that in my last podcast. If you want to go take a listen, it's the last episode where it's just a really weird holiday season. And so I was focusing on 2020 and my intentions and I was like, okay, here's the goal. Here's what I'm going to do. But now what's happening is the reality of my visa is I'm already six months in. So now I have to start thinking about, do I want to stay? Do I need to get a work visa? Do I need to go do my regional work? You can listen to my last podcast to hear what that is. You basically have to work for three months in a rural area and get a second year visa. And I'm just trying to figure out what my next step is because I actually am turning 29 in a few weeks. And the visas here that are the working holiday visas, you can only get them until you're 30. Like I could still apply next year, but my visa runs out in August. So because of that, the reality is starting to sink in of like, okay, time's flying. I'm six months in. I either need to apply for another visa. Uh, New Zealand actually has the same type of visa. Should I go to New Zealand? Do I want to go back to the States? Do I want to go to another country that's not even around here? There's just a lot weighing on my mind on top of trying to do the podcast and start a yoga business and trying to also juggle the three jobs that I have. So my mind has been all over the place on top of just like regular life. I have to pay bills. I have to get groceries. I have to clean. I have to do laundry. I want to work out. I want to eat healthy. I want to socialize. I want to date. I want to be a good friend. Like there's so much going on that literally today I was on the elevator so out of it. I was on with this couple and I just got off the elevator, turned around, put my keys in the door. And the couple's like, um, this is our apartment. I was like, wait, no, this is my apartment. And they're like, I think you're on the wrong floor. And I was like, oh my God, I just got off the elevator and basically tried to break and enter into this couple's home because that's how out of it I was. Like my brain is all over the place and my birthday is coming up as well. So now I'm trying to think of, you know, what do I want to do for my birthday? Do I want to go on a trip? Do I want to have like a fun day at the bar? Do I want to just chill at the beach? Do I want to do a spa day? Like... I don't know why I have so much in my mind going on because none of this is really different from back home. Actually, I guess it is. There's a lot to think about with the visa, but like my birthday happens every year. Every year I think about, you know, I want to eat healthy and get groceries and pay my bills and all these things. But lately I think there's just a lot of personal stuff going on too that my mind has been so all over the place. I feel like I'm being pulled in 95 different directions. And I do bring a lot of that on myself. There's a lot of solutions that I could just figure out. But I think today was a reflection of like, okay, let's be a little more present and be in the moment because you almost just literally trespassed into someone's apartment. (laughs) So if that is not a reminder to be more present, I don't know what is. I am trying to also just develop a routine. Uh, I talked about this in my last podcast as well, but it is so unstable here. I just got coffee with a friend this morning and she's also on a visa, but she's uh, uh, trying to get a PhD. So she's trying to get a student visa. And we were talking about it and we're like, okay, this is really weird. Everyone just says bye all the time. You change apartments, your roommates leave. 
um, if you're dating someone, they might have to leave. If you have a coworker, their visa might be up, so they're just gonna leave. So we were talking about the instability and I'm like, the one thing that doesn't make things unstable is if you have a routine, which is stable. So I'm trying to figure out, okay, what does that look like for me? Because my schedule is pretty all over the place, but that was the first thing was like getting the schedule in place. So I talked to my jobs about, okay, these are the days I can work. These are the times I can work. This is what I'm doing. So that is what I'm trying to stick to. Like if someone asks me to work an extra shift or can I do this? Can I cover this day? I'm just like, no, like these are the days I work. I have to stick to it or else I'm going to go insane. I'm also trying to use ClassPass to book classes before work because some of my jobs, I don't have to be there till 10. So I'm trying to go before work and ClassPass, if you've listened to other podcasts of mine, is like the one thing that works for me. I used to join gyms. I tried to do yoga at my own place. I tried to just, um, you know, watch YouTube videos. And I'm like, I am literally motivated by losing money. So if I book a class and I see that I'm going to lose $15 if I cancel or 20 if I no show, yeah, you bet your ass I'm going to be at that class. So that is the only thing that works. Booking class passes on my days where I go into the office at 10. Um, other days I'm trying to just figure out what that looks like with podcasting and yoga because those are two totally different ideas, two totally different targets. Everything is so different about both of those things that I'm trying to do. And they're just different business models. Like obviously what I'm doing for podcasting is totally different than me trying to run something with yoga. And that's another piece of the puzzle is I originally was like, oh, I'll just be a private yoga teacher. And then I was like, well, wait a second. I'm moving so much. I'm traveling. It's going to be really hard to keep a consistent schedule of clients. Let me think about online teaching so that I can just have a laptop and teach people online. Well, wait a second. That also requires scheduling. Why don't I think about uh, doing like a course online where people can just watch the videos? Oh, wait a second. What if I to do a social media course where people I can teach people how to market their yoga abilities on social media? Oh, wait a second. What if I just do mentorship calls? And I'm like, oh my God, this is, if anyone that has ever tried to start a business is listening, you probably can relate where you thought you were going to do one or two things and it would maybe expand out. And now as you get more into it, you're like, wait, I could do 40 things with this. So now I'm trying to niche down because I don't want to be a Chinese menu. You know, when you go and you get 45,000 things on the menu, that's not what I'm trying to do with my yoga business, but that's what I'm trying to define what it is. Like if I'm traveling so much, first of all, what can I offer that's valuable, but that I also feel confident in selling and that I really think could provide a level of service to people's lives. So that is again, a whole thing that I have to think about that is really hard to do when you're also just trying to like keep up with everybody, trying to socialize, trying to manage all your jobs, trying to get eight hours of sleep, trying to clean, trying to do groceries. Like I said, it's just a mess right now in my head. So I'm really, really trying to stick to a routine so that I can just have some stability and peace because it's wild. Um, what else is going on here? There's a lot of words that I always like to talk about that are like really different. And there's a phrase now that I've heard everyone say, and it's too easy or like easy. And they basically just mean like, oh, cool. So for example, at work, I'll be like, hey, can you just add this person to a list? And they're like, yeah, too easy. Or, hey, I'm going to go down to the coffee shop. Um, I'll grab you guys something. Oh, cool. Too easy. No, they don't even say cool. They'll just be like, oh, too easy. So now I'm just like, oh, it's a fun little phrase. Too easy. And then this is one that I've realized I've used that I don't think I use in the States is, is sorted. 
instead of figure it out. So we're like, oh, we'll sort you or yeah, that's sorted or yeah, I'll get it sorted, which is like, yeah, you kind of use it in the States, but I feel like here it's everything like sort her out or I need to sort my head out or sort this thing out with, with work. Um, we'll get you sorted. And so now I'm like, oh, okay, I'm using that a little more. Um, what else? I told you guys in another podcast, I, I'm starting to use like really feminine words, like lovely and babe. I use lovely a lot more now or like love. I'll be like, Hey love. Hi, lovely. And I definitely did not say that in the States. So that is a new one. Um, what else? I'm trying to think of words. The words I'm not, I'm kind of blanking on, but I have noticed two major things here, which are totally different from the States. Everyone here is very practical with like taboo things. I don't know if practical is the word I'm looking for. Let me think this through. Great, great podcast. Just thinking through things as I'm trying to speak about them. Everyone's open about subjects that normally Americans are closed off about. That's what I'm trying to say. So for example, sex, people here talk about it so openly, but not in a way of oh, this is what I did last night with this person or this is what's going on. It's just like sex education here is like very open. For example, they had the radio on at work today and these two podcast hosts were on a radio show just openly talking about STDs, um, double condoms, like should you be doing that? Where can you get condoms? Um, What education centers you can go to if you're not sure? Where can you go get STD testing? And I was like, wow, this was on the radio in America. People would be like, whoa, what is this station? What's going on? And it wasn't like a joke or anything either. These people were actually trying to be educational about sex. And it was just on a radio station that's actually government funded. So I was like, that's really interesting that the government is purposely putting on this content to be like, hey, yeah, we understand people are having sex. We want to help you guys out. And it's just playing in the office. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I I know if this is playing in the office in America, people would be laughing. People would be like, oh my God, is this radio a joke? Like what's going on? Why are they talking about this? Like, why are they talking about double wrapping your condom? Oh my God, this is crazy. And everyone was just like, do, 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 just typing away. And I was like, that's really interesting. And it's kind of the norm here. Like, if you need any type of healthcare or anything, they're just really open and they're just, they just talk about it more. So I really like that about here. It's just like common sense. It's like, Hey, yeah, we know this is happening. Oh, here's another example. Drugs. <laughs> there are a lot of drugs in Australia. I will definitely say that. And I work at a music festival company or music agency. And obviously when we throw music festivals, we have to think of the drugs that are at music festivals. I don't think it's shocking to anyone listening that's been to a music festival that has seen drugs, done drugs, been around them, like they're there. So I know in America, basically from what I've seen, I've went to a lot of festivals in America. I went to Lollapalooza. I went to Man Beyond the Beach. I went to Buku. I've, I've been to a lot. And I do remember there, you know, being newsletters and some signs like, hey, no drugs allowed, drug free zone, sober zone, whatever. Um, What's interesting about here is they know that people would have drugs or be on drugs. And instead of using scare tactics like watch out, canines coming at you, police force swap, like swarming down. They have something called amnesty bins. They're testing them out here where the basically there's a bin in front of I can't remember if it's like in front of the line or right after you get in line where they want you to dump your drugs and there would be no charges pressed against you no police force coming at you no legal action taken 
because what was happening apparently was people were freaking out and downing all these drugs before they went into festivals and basically dying or having insane seizures or having permanent damage. So to prevent that, instead of being like, oh, again, we're going to come with all these different levels of law enforcement, they just said, why don't we just put a bin here? Kind of like we won't ask, won't tell, won't say anything. It's your last chance to get rid of the drugs before you get in the festival. And then if we see them pass that, we're obviously going to have to take some action. So I thought that was really interesting because it's like, it's kind of what I was thinking of as a parent. Like if your kid's drinking, instead of being like scaring them and grounding them and taking their phone away and being like, I can't believe you're drinking. You're you're so such a bad kid. This is so bad for you. What were you thinking? And scaring them into not doing it. Then they rebel in college and they're the people that like go if, fucking insane in college it's like having that talk of like hey i know you're doing this let's think of a responsible way if you're drunk call me and i'll pick you up instead of scaring a kid into thinking that they're gonna die if they drink why don't you just have a conversation about it that's like very much the vibe that the australian government gives here it's like instead of ignoring it let's just address it we know people are having sex we know people are doing drugs we know people are upset with this this and this so let's just address it and that's something that's really refreshing here the other big thing is the environmentability and the sustainability i've talked about that but I've noticed it even more now because of the bushfires. People are so environmentally conscious. It's actually really nice. For example, at my gelato job, we have little plastic spoons. And I swear at least every day, someone's like, why do you guys have plastic spoons? Like, why don't you change these? And I know in America, I'd be like, oh, whatever. Like maybe one person every other week would say something. Here, people are like genuinely upset. They're like, why? Like, what is this? Why is there plastic here? No one brings single use cup or yeah, single use plastic anywhere. Even at the festivals, like I monitor the social media inbox for the music agency and people are always asking hey can i bring a reusable water bottle can i bring a reusable cup i have my own silverware that i'm gonna bring and you're like what (laughs) i've never heard of that in america like paper straws just became a thing in the last two years in america metal straws were on board like people were doing it but here i just went shopping okay at a place that was like an accessories kind of like boutique it just has like sunglasses and shoes and hats and whatever and literally at checkout right next to the uh i was gonna say till because that's what they call it here the cash register um they have metal straws that's like five dollars with your purchase which i was like this is so funny i know in america it's like oh get another free pair of sunglasses or add a ring to your purchase for five dollars not oh add metal straws to your purchase and then on the other side of the register were reusable bags that everyone carries here like people do not wear cute purses everyone wears a tote bag like a one that you can just wash and reuse and right on the right of that they had like cute design ones And I was looking and I was like, oh, maybe there's like, you know, cute purses. And then I looked and I was like, no, it literally says for an extra $2, get this cotton bag. And you're like, oh, once again, I'm used to being like for an extra $2, upgrade your package or add points to your card or loyalty card or whatever, like not get an environmentally friendly tote bag. And so that's something that I've noticed everywhere I go now, like everyone has keep cups or like reusable cups is what they, they call them keep cups. I, I don't know. If we, I don't think we say that in America. Um, yeah, everyone has the tote bags. Everyone has the metal straws. So now you almost look like an asshole if you're not doing that. 
where I feel like in America, it's like people kind of make fun of the people that have the metal straws or paper straws or like it would almost be weird, at least where I'm from. I'm speaking pretty generally here. Where I'm from, if I'm going out and someone has a paper straw, people are like, oh, paper straw person or wow, did that person like bring their own metal straws? That's kind of weird. Um, here, no one, no one's questioning it. If, like I said, if you're not bringing your own stuff, you're the one that people are questioning. So now I have my reusable water bottle, my tote bag, my metal straws, my keep cup. Uh, what else? Do I bring anything else with me? I don't have my own cutlery yet. Cutlery! That's another word they use instead of silverware. Um, and they say toilet instead of bathroom. And now I'm starting to think of things. They'll be like, where's the toilet? Instead of like, where's the bathroom? And to me, toilet sounds so vulgar. Like I cannot get myself to say it. So I'll say like restroom or bathroom. And that immediately gives it away that I'm, obvi- I mean, obviously my accent, I'm not from here, but they're like, um, yeah, they, they're the toilets down there. And I'm like, oh, I just hate saying toilet. But yeah, if you come to Australia and you need to use the bathroom, just say, where's the toilet? All right. I'm trying to think of anything else. I feel like those are the major updates. Um, like I said, my mind is like pretty all over the place right now. It's pretty chaotic. What I'm trying to do actually is just get back to things I like doing because as I start to evaluate how chaotic everything is, I'm like, wait a second. I didn't come here to just like work myself to the bone and not enjoy myself. That's actually quite the opposite. (laughs) That's why I left. And I'm noticing I'm kind of falling back in old patterns of like trying to work a lot, trying to do this, do a hundred things at once. And it's like, hey, just try to do a little bit better every day and do things that you actually like to do. So I bought a sketchbook. I used to sketch a lot and I really enjoyed it. And so it's like a hobby that I'm not trying to monetize or anything. I just think it's important to have a creative outlet and that could be anything. I feel like people confuse creativity immediately with like artists, like drawing, like you don't have to paint, you don't have to draw, you don't have to uh, write a poem. It could be like, oh, my creativity is organizing. Like, I'm really good at organizing, and that brings me joy. We saw movement last year around Marie Kondo. My sister is obsessed with organizing. It's like her favorite hobby. So if that brings someone joy, that's creativity, is getting organizational with your space. Or maybe it is, I don't know, maybe it's just um, doing something on the computer. Maybe it's writing. Maybe it's doing SEO. Maybe that's your creativity. Like it doesn't have to be always like this art skill, but for me, it has always been art, like uh, drawing or sketching or things like that. I really enjoy that. And so I thought, well, what am I doing? If I enjoyed that, why don't I just go buy a sketchbook? So that's what I did the other day. Got a sketchbook, got some colored pencils, got a mechanical pencil, got a marker. So that is going to be kind of like something that I try to incorporate just bring it with me around. So if I'm feeling inspired or I just want to take a quick break on my lunch break, maybe sketch something, I think that is going to be helpful for me. And I signed up for a hip hop dance class, which I'm so excited about. I tried to just really review in my past when I've felt the happiest. And it's usually when I'm doing something that I really enjoyed. And it's usually when you were a kid, right? Because when we're kids, we have like no responsibility. So we probably played baseball or danced or we're in a, um, I don't know, we're in the school's play or you were a singer in a choir. Like those are all really fun things. And at some point we were taught, oh, you, the arts don't make money or you can't do that because you won't make money. But what's interesting is it doesn't matter. You don't need to make money off of everything. You should probably have an outlet that you just want to have fun with. So 
Mine was sketching and dancing. I remember I went to a school of the arts when I was younger, when I was in sixth grade, and it was didn't even feel like school to me. I was like, this is the funnest thing I've ever done. And then when I graduated college, I went and got my master's degree in digital media and storytelling. And that also felt like playtime because, it, I mean, hello, storytelling. It was storytelling through audio, through video, through text, through writing, through data, through design. And I remember being like, this doesn't even feel like school. I feel like this is a playground. So when I start to review those times in my life, oh, when it was a school of the arts and when I was creating stuff, obviously then to incorporate joy into my life, I need to be creating. And again, I'm not trying to monetize this. I'm not trying to like sell my sketches. I'm not going to be a hip hop dancer for like America's best dance crew. Like I just want to have fun because my everyday life is full of responsibilities. So I signed up for a hip hop dance class in a few weeks and I'm hoping that I enjoy it because then I'll sign up for like a pack. Um, But yeah, I think it's just really important if you're listening and you're like feeling like down or just like, oh God, I've been grinding it out every week or my life is so stale. It's just wake up, eat, go to work, work out, rinse, sleep, repeat. Maybe you try and find one thing. It doesn't have to be every day. You don't have to be sketching every day or doing this every day, but it's like maybe one Sunday night I carve out two hours to do calligraphy or maybe on Tuesday nights I go to the cooking class that my grocery store has down the street. Just something to incorporate that gives you like a little glimpse of hope, just like when you were a little kid and we all got so excited to go to our after school activity or dance class or your art class, whatever it was, like try and review what from your past has always brought you joy and incorporate that because I know for me, that's really important right now with everything going on in my mind. I like need a break. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I feel like those are all the updates with like Australia and personal life. I will definitely keep you updated as these podcasts keep going. But speaking of yoga business, I have such a great guest on today. Divya is the founder of Wander Beauty. And let me tell you, she is a badass. Like she started out Wander Beauty in her own home. She talks about this on the podcast where she literally had employees in her own home working off their laptops in her living room. She had product samples in her kitchen and her husband's like, what is this a factory? Like it's just so interesting to hear an entrepreneur's journey because I feel like for me right now, because I'm in the throes of it, I truly do not understand the first thing to do. I'm like, should I have set up a bank account? Do I need to set myself up with like an accountant or any type of uh, legal action or anything? Not legal action, like some type of legal setup. Can I just start charging people whatever I want? How do I set my rates? How do I charge them? How do I bill them? If I wanted to build a product, how do I do that? Like, let's say right now I thought of a new yoga mat how do I do that? Like, do I go to a manufacturer? How do I find out who the manufacturer is? How much money do I have to have? Who do I talk to? Do I need a business partner? Like, these are all things that I am starting to think of again, because I'm just starting my own yoga business. So I'm really interested right now to hear how people build a business straight from the ground up, but actually turn an idea into a tangible product. I don't have any product. My podcast is an audio form of media and yoga right now is most likely gonna be online. So I don't have anything to sell. So I think it's really interesting when someone has an idea of a product, 
how do they know that that idea is going to turn into a tangible thing that they can sell? And how do they know it's not going to be a total flop? Like, what if they produce something and then it just no one wants it? So I'm trying to ask those questions because selfishly, I want to know. But I feel like if you're listening, you probably want to know, too. You probably don't know, you know, what's the actual very first step that I need to do? Who do I need to hang out with? That's my issue, too, right now is like I feel like I know a few people that have their own businesses but sometimes it's hard to relate if you come from the nine to five world where everyone has been doing the same thing for years. It's hard to just be like, oh, yeah, I'm trying to set up my own uh, bank account for my business. Or, yeah, I'm trying to find an accountant or I don't even know what legal entity I need to register as. Like those aren't really conversations you're going to have with just like your normal office coworkers. So I really am trying to ask those questions like what support systems do you have? What if you're in a relationship? Like what if you don't live anywhere close to your business partner? Like these are all things that I think are important. So if you guys have specific questions that you want me to ask when I have these guests on, please DM me. Like I am more than happy to add them to the list because I know for me having these conversations is really helpful. So I want to make sure they're just as helpful for you. So with that said, I think you're going to love Divya. She is so open about how she got to where she is, how she maintains her relationship with her husband, how she actually manages being a mom while juggling all this, and just how to get started and really surround yourself with people that can lift you up to the place that you want to be. So without further ado, let's listen to Divya of Wander Beauty. All right, guys, you know, I've always been obsessed with beauty and skincare. I'm sure you heard the podcast where I wanted to start a beauty Instagram when I was in college and then people talked me out of it. And now look at 2020, all the beauty influencers that have made a career out of actually following beauty trends and posting about it. So I may regret that decision, but luckily I still am able to talk to beauty experts. And today I have Divya Gugnani from Wonder Beauty on. Welcome to the show, Divya. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you on because I love the concept of Wander Beauty. Can you actually tell everyone a little bit about the company? So Wander Beauty is all about streamlining your beauty routine. We're all about the modern woman. She's time starved. She's on the go. She's doing her makeup on planes, trains, automobiles. She's doing her skincare at the gym. And what she really wants in her life is fewer better beauty essentials. And that's really what the crux of our brand is because our client is someone who's doing beauty beyond the bathroom because she's like on the move. We really give her fewer things that do more and it make it, it makes it easy for her to travel from place to place. So fewer is all about multitaskers, things that are double-sided, multi-use formulas. So if you have a beauty bag and you have 10 products in it, we're going to give you two that are going to replace the 10. Um, better is all about clean beauty. I know that's just you know something that's buzzed about and thrown around a lot, but I suffer from autoimmune disease. And when we were founding Wander Beauty in 2015, we just felt like this should be table stakes for any brand to be free of so many chemicals that are harmful for your body. And so your skin is your largest organ. And you're ingesting tons of chemicals via your beauty products and your personal care products. And we decided to make a conscious effort to really have a long no-no list and to omit tons of chemicals in our formulations. So that's the better part of fewer, better beauty essentials. And beauty essentials is really the idea that 
women want a brand where they can reach for their essentials every single day. And that's been something that's really missing in the industry. You often shop for your hair from a hair brand, your skin from a skin brand, your color cosmetics from a color brand. It's a very fragmented, disrupted discovery and shopping process. And with Wander, you can come to one destination, wanderbeauty.com, and buy all of your essentials across all categories. Which is exactly what I need because we were just talking offline. I'm going on a trip today and it's a really short trip. So I really don't want to pack a full suitcase. So I'm like, I really just want to bring my weekend tote bag. But if I have to put all my makeup on it, that's going to weigh it down. So it sounds like Wander Beauty, I could have two to three products and just be ready to pack my bag and go. It's so easy. It's like, uh, what you know, everyone's talking about their New Year's resolutions now, and my big resolution is to like live more in 2020. So, if I want to live more, I want to spend less time like packing, putting things together, you know, repacking things that are going to leak. And, like, you know, if you need a little bit of coverage, and believe me, we all need a little bit of coverage. I don't know anyone who has flawless, perfect skin. If you know someone, please introduce me, but we all need a little coverage, and so. Our Nude Illusion Foundation is something that's, you know, a seamless formula that's weightless on your face, can give you a lot of coverage, but you can use it for spots. You can use it all over your face as a foundation. There's so much flexibility in how you use it, and it has a built-in applicator. So when you're going on that weekend trip, you're not sitting there packing a brush, a sponge, a concealer, a liquid foundation. That's like four different things. You're packing one tube, which is lightweight. It's a tube, not a glass bottle. And it can be your concealer, it can be your foundation, it can be your tinted moisturizer, and you don't need a brush, a sponge, an applicator for it because it's all built in the packaging. It sounds like you really know what you're talking about with beauty. So what were you actually doing before Wander Beauty? So before Wander Beauty, I had actually started my career in investment banking at Goldman Sachs. I then worked in private equity and then venture capital. So I actually worked with a lot of entrepreneurs investing in their companies giving them strategic and operational guidance and help to build and sell those companies. And then I was really just an accidental entrepreneur. I took the leap. I was dating a guy. I started a company with him. Um, The relationship did not survive, but the company did. Um, It thrived and grew. And since then, I've started three more companies, Wander being the fourth. And now I just love being an entrepreneur. It's just what really drives me. I love the early days of finding a problem and really solving it with a business. Um, And I really love the days that we're going through now, which is about building and scaling and growing. Where did the actual idea come from? And how did you turn that idea into an actual company? You know, it was a series of things that happened. And then it was just this one light bulb moment. So I'd grown up always loving beauty. My mom was, you know, into Ayurveda and she like, really believe that everything should be organic and natural. And every beauty treatment that happened during my teenage years is something that like came from a fruit, a vegetable or something in my fridge. And, um, I experimented a lot. I learned a lot. I actually went to culinary school and I cook professionally. So I've learned a lot about food from every angle, um, and ingredients. And I've explored and experimented with that. And I really got into makeup in college. I used to do my friend's makeup when I was in my sorority. We used to have formal events. I would do everyone's makeup and I would do my own as well. Um, And then I just changed my beauty routine as a professional because in my career, being being an entrepreneur and then selling my company to a big, large corporation, 
it was just like that experimental side was really something that I didn't have as much freedom and guidance and fun to do. And then I just realized that as I became a mom with two kids, my beauty routine changed dramatically. It was just like, I became this woman that lived her life on the go. I was planes, trains, automobiles. I was commuting every morning to work. I was doing my makeup on the subway. I was going to the gym because I was trying to lose the weight after having two kids. And I was doing my skincare routine at the gym. If I was going to meetings, I was doing touch-ups in the back of an Uber. So this idea of like, I was living my life in motion and there was no brand that was giving me beauty in motion. And my desire to have 800 things just totally disappeared. I was like, I no longer need 800 products. I actually just want five or 10 that do everything I need to get done. And I want them to travel with me everywhere and be seamless and easy to carry. And there was no brand solving all of my needs. And it just became such a dire need for me as I worked, I traveled, I you know, had a family, I raised a family. It just became like, why is no one doing this? And I met my co-founder at a party. We just kind of hit it off. And I was talking to her about this idea and concept. And we kind of crystallized the idea of Wander Beauty together. And your business partner is still with the company, right? Yes. How do you evaluate if someone's a good business partner? Because there are a lot of people that want to launch a business and I feel like they want to do it with a partner for security. But then sometimes we, you know, we've all heard those horror stories like, oh, my business partner took everything or it turned sour. How can you evaluate if someone will be a solid business partner? You know, it's really crazy that we took such a leap of faith on each other. We had a common friend who really didn't know me very well and really didn't know her really well. And we met at a party and it was just this gut instinct that we hit it off. And the most important thing in that partnership, and I think for all business partnerships, is having complementary skills. If you're going to go into business together, both of you need to be bringing true skills, expertise to the table that is going to grow the holistic business and pie larger. And so when you both do the same thing or have the same skills, you're not additive to the company. And so we're both additive to Wander because she's got this incredible passion for creative. She's our creative director. She's a photographer. She does videography. Like she's all this amazing aesthetic and vision and color palette. And like, she's these like really, you know, she's a very visual person. I'm like a finance person with spreadsheets and operations. And we're going to solve this problem logistically this way. And so we are really a meeting of the minds and together we are complete and we create a complete brand. And I feel like when you're evaluating and choosing a business partner, yes, of course, trust is the most important thing. But beyond that, I think it's about having complementary skill sets and really being able to both add value to the business. And it sounds like maybe let go of some control because I imagine maybe at some point you were like, wait, I, I want to do this color palette or I like this typography. Like, mm-hmm. did you just let her take the reins? How did that work? I think so. I think that it's very important to have your areas of expertise and to have your areas where you have complete control and autonomy and obviously building a team. It's all about them having their own autonomy. She oversees the creative team, which is a pretty large team at Wander. And all of that vision, all of that creativity, all of the aesthetic, the launch, the plans, it's all under her domain. And I have implicit trust for her and the team to deliver that. Do I have input and ideas? Yes. Like that's the whole point of being in a meritocracy and being in a company with an open floor plan where we all sit out in the open together. It's because we all collaborate. We all have a voice. So it's not about 
you know, I have a voice, but you have to give people final say in the area where they are the expert. Right. Which is, it's definitely hard, but it, it sounds like it works. It works. So it's just really sticking to those roles. Totally. There are a ton of people listening, including myself, that have ideas to start businesses or maybe launch a product. And we really don't know the first step. I know personally, me, it's been just in action doing it that you start doing something. You're like, oh my God, wait, I forgot to do that. Or wait, this part is super important. I didn't realize that. So for you, having launched so many different ventures, is there some type of wireframe or action steps or anything that someone who's listening right now who has this business idea could get the ball rolling? A hundred percent. So first it really starts with the idea. I think so many people come to me and tell me like, oh, I want to start a business. I want to be an entrepreneur, but I don't have an idea. The first thing is literally having the idea. It's like, what problem are you trying to solve? Have you gone through 24 to 48 hours of your life and written down all the friction points of what you don't like about your life? Like, I want to live, I want to eat healthier. I want to live better. I want to spend less time doing X or Y and coming up with an idea that actually solves a problem in your life. And then really surveying a hundred people, which is what we did with Wander and asked them like about the beauty routines and understood the problems they were having. So I think it's really important to do to stress test the idea before you do anything. Is it something that really resonates with you? Is like core to your life so that you can be passionate about it and really be the leadership around that idea? Two, is it something that has a large market size and there are other people who have the similar pain point and you're really uniquely in a differentiated way solving that problem? So you're not a me too business just trying to copy someone else. You're truly innovating. That's like stage one. Once you have that innovative idea, you feel it's differentiated. You feel like there's a large enough market size and there are people who are really, if it's going to resonate with, you have a target market that you're going to serve. Then I really say that you, you know, you need to come up with everything. You need to come up with the concept, the logo, the branding, the aesthetic, the mood boards of what your brand or your service is. Um, and then you have to do all the logistics of the technology and how you're going to do it. And I think that important key steps not to be overlooked are securing the intellectual property of your company or your brand. If you have a great name, obviously buying the URL for your website, um, registering the intellectual property of like getting trademark for the name, the words, the, you know, the artwork around it. Um, and then really just setting up shop and creating the product or the service and investing all your time and energy in doing that. But also every single step of the way, always testing, learning from those tests, iterating, and then building. So it's like test, iterate, learn, build. And you said something about the market research, basically, like when you're saying, you know, make sure there's that market out there. Are you actually like, let's say there's someone just, you know, at home, working a full-time job, just graduated college, maybe 24, 25, how are they supposed to do that? Is this on Facebook? Are they just asking around? Are they sending out emails? Like what are some methods to get that feedback? I think there's a ton of reading material online. I think you can pretty much Google anything in this day and age. I think there's lots of entrepreneurial books. There are tons of YouTube series. Like, And I think that depending on what country you're living in, the laws are different on how you set things up and what to do. Um, so I would actually just, you know, leverage a lot of resources online. I would network with people in the industry. I would join trade organizations where you can learn a lot of this stuff, um, where you can actually learn about your industry and get mentors in your industry. 
And you mentioned something really important, the testing, reiterating, learning. Was there something within Wander Beauty's portfolio that you thought was going to be a hit and you tested it and you're like, oh my God, this totally blew it or vice versa. You didn't know it would do that well. And now it's maybe a top seller. You know, it's so interesting. There was this one item that I was so passionate about and it ended up being a huge hero for us, but no one believed it had that potential except for my co-founder and I. So um, I have hereditary dark circles. My dad looks like a bulldog. My under eyes are puffy. I've always <laughs> had dark circles. I like look like I haven't slept all night, even if I've had like 12 hours of sleep. So that's a genetic thing. And there's not really much you can do for that. But in terms of depuffing and brightening the eye area, like it's always been a friction point for me. And my co-founder, Lindsay, as a model, whenever she got prepped for shoots, they always used to put like under eye gels or patches or pads on her just to do the same thing, to hydrate, to brighten, and to prep the skin for makeup application. And so the combination of her experience, my experience, we worked with a chemist in Korea, and it was a formula that she had actually made for me to kind of test and use under my under eyes because I had this personal problem. Um, it really worked. And it was just this incredible serum that was had incredibly nourishing and hydrating ingredients. Camu Camu, like an incredible source of vitamin C from the Amazon, peptides, amino acids, um, you know, really hyaluronic acid to hydrate and plump the skin. And at that time, Wander had really launched and built a foothold in color cosmetics. And we hadn't built any categories yet. It was really early in our trajectory. And when I took this formula and these gold under eye patches that like looked so amazing, like they look fantastic, but they actually really work. And that was what I was really banking on. We took them to a retail partner and they were like, yeah, why would you do this? This is so random. Like you're selling color cosmetics, like you're selling foundation, you're selling, you have amazing mascara. Like why does the under eye patch make any sense for your brand or for you? And I was like, you don't understand. Like I use these, they work. This is magic. It's truly an incredible formula and it's very visual and, you know, people are really going to love it. And they're like, okay, you can test it on your site. We'll take a small order. Like, let's see what happens. Fast forward. Like we've literally sold over 5 million packets last year. Um, more than oh that, actually God. more than that. That was the first year we launched was 5 million packets. So last year, now that 2019 has passed, um, we sold even more and it's just this gut and intuition as an entrepreneur, you know, your client, you know, your customer, you know your team, you know your, you know what works. And no matter, everyone else can give you advice. And yes, you should listen, always listen, but trust your own intuition and your gut. Like had I just been swayed by someone else's advice, I may not have ever launched this product. And it was a huge hero for us and it continues to be a huge hero for us. So the Wander Beauty gold baggage claim uh, under eye masks and the rose gold ones, which are the same formula, just in a different color. Um, rose gold for your under eyes are just, they're a hero. They work. People love them. And you see them all over Instagram and celebrities and actresses and all these people use it because they genuinely discover it and love it. Like we're not paying anyone to talk about it. It's the movement of creating truly innovative product and having that take shape. And I definitely need those as well because I yes. also have the same dark circle issue where if I don't wear makeup, people are like, are you ill? Mm -hmm. I'm like, nope, it's just the under eye circles. So these patches sound amazing. What about launching products? So let's say I have an idea right now and I'm like, you know, I really want to get this physical product in people's hands. 
what are steps that I need to take? Like, do I evaluate a manufacturer? How do I actually know who to go with? How much money do I need to set aside? Like, you know, these are all definitely custom to whatever product you're launching, but is there a basic equation for launching product? There really isn't. It really depends on the, the price point that you're trying to go after and how much the formula is going to cost. Like for us, we secure raw ingredients from all over the world. We literally buy ingredients from countries all over the globe. And we go for the best source that has the purest form because we have a value proposition and a promise to the consumer that when they buy this something from Wonder Beauty, it's going to be highly efficacious. It's really going to work. And it's going to be something that you can travel and wander with anywhere. It's going to be seamless for all of your travels and your on-the-go application. And so the costs vary dramatically. There's no ballpark estimator. I do think that I did a lot of cold calling. I did a lot of networking. I joined trade organizations. I looked up directories of vendors that specialized in certain products and ingredients. And I just, one person referred me to the other person, referred me to the other person. And I just learned it. It's just like you can network your way into anything. Like one of my girlfriends has a saying that says like network to get work. And that's really what it is. It's like we networked our way into finding all the right suppliers and the right relationships to then build our supply chain and build the best products ever. So it can be done. You just have to find your way. Let's talk about the early days of Wander Beauty because you mentioned the open floor plan and everyone's very collaborative and it seems like people are really resonating with the products. But those very early days in 2015, what was the setup? Were you, did you guys have an office? Were you working from it home? It was hysterical. There was no open floor plan. It was my living room. That was the open floor plan. <laughs> it's all open to all of you all the time. Um, and by the way, my husband's going to cry every time he gets home because he opened every cabinet and products would just fall out on his face. And you could just like oh, see his face God. turn red. It was just it was <gasps> classic. So I had two young children. I had a newborn baby. And I decided to start a business, which is, you know, the timing was just ridiculous. Um, and I decided to start this business out of my home. So Lindsay would come over every day, work out of my house. We had one full-time employee. Then we hired a few interns and we literally were up to nine people and we were working out of my house every day. And we were busting at the seams and we had a warehouse and the warehouse of products, but we had stuff coming out of my house. Also, we had messengers, we had so many things with customer service calls being routed out of here. I mean, it was like, it was insanity. I wouldn't trade it for any other thing in the world. I got to spend time with my kids. I used to watch them. I don't think it was good for them because just imagine you're two young kids. Like, how do you have a play date? Your mom was like working out of the house. I'm like, it was for friends. It was like, it was a little tricky. It was a little hard, um, but we all figured it out. And then we graduated to renting the apartment across the hall um, worked out of there for a while. And then we got an office space and we're grown out of our office space and we're moving to a new space in June, 2020. So, you know, we took the steps and grew and grew and grew, but it's been all, um, it's been all moving in the right direction and been really exciting. And I think I've really enjoyed the difficulty and the pain of every stage because it makes the reward of growing so much sweeter. Absolutely. Someone on my podcast recently talked about a similar concept with the work getting there in terms of health. Like let's say there was a machine that all of a sudden transformed you into your perfect body, but then you had to keep it up. It's like, you never knew the steps to actually get there. So you wouldn't know how to sustain that. So it sounds very similar to business where 
if you never knew what it took to get there, how are you supposed to sustain it and keep growing? So I'm glad that you shared that little story of starting it up in your living room. Yeah. And what about when you started hiring? Because this is the part that people, I feel like, start to fail at because they want to control everything with the company. They want to be the creative director. They want to be the accountant. They want to be this, the face of it. They want to be everything that you obviously need to delegate. So at what point were you like, wow, we need a team? And how do you evaluate good employees? We knew we needed a team from day one because like, you know, if you want to go quickly, you go alone, right? Because you can make decisions and move the ball forward and work as hard as you can. But if you want to go far, you need to go together. And so it's like having a team was always the idea. And I had run three companies before this. So I knew that we would always hire people, but I have a very strong philosophy on hiring. So I believe that you hire slowly and fire quickly. So if someone's not working out, which we had someone when we hired in the early days that was not working out, we just like, this is not a fit, not good for you, not good for us, goodbye. Because one bad apple literally can ruin the bunch. It can ruin the culture of an organization. So we are very quick to let people go um, if they're not working out. And we are very slow to bring people into the fold. I really feel like as you're growing, really understanding what is this next person's role? What are they going to cover? What do you need to grow the business? Every year and every month, your needs change. Constantly evaluating how we're growing and the the roles that we need to fill is a, you know, it's part strategy, part science. Um, and then constantly networking, even when you're not looking for a head of supply chain, and even when you're not looking for a chief marketing officer, and even when you're not looking for someone in product development, you're meeting people in the industry and in all of these roles all the time. And you're keeping a database of candidates. You're having coffees, you're meeting them at trade shows, you're meeting them at industry events, you're networking with different people because you never know when you're going to have a need for that area. And if that person that you met that you really loved can't take the job, they're still in that industry, in that job, in that function and role that they may have 20 other people they can refer to you. So I really feel like we've hired all of our people at Wander Beauty from day one ourselves. Um, everyone on our team has been instrumental in hiring. It's not just a me thing or a Lindsay thing. The entire team has brought in friends, colleagues, people that they worked with before. And that's how we've grown our organization. That's amazing that you guys are really involved. You didn't just outsource that and say, oh, I'm not going to be involved in it. Your biggest asset is your people. The difference between a good business and a great business is an amazing team. And you need to invest in people. And today, someone on my team sent me a very interesting note. And he's like, hey, I've been here for like six months. And I have to tell you, I'm really impressed with how much we like care about like people's careers here and how much time is invested into like their, their career. And he's like, I've never worked in an organization where like people ask me at the end of the year, like, what are your goals for 2020? And like have a sit down meeting to review your goals, both personal and professional. And I've never had something where we have touch bases about like, how are you doing? How are you doing? How are you, how are you dealing with being a manager and managing a team? And like, what are some of the things that you're going through? And like, how can we help you? And so it's so interesting that like all of this matters. It's all about people. I love that you guys do that because it's so true that you kind of just hire people and you're like, oh, they got it. You know, that's why we hired them. But it's like, do they got it? Like, let's check in and actually make sure. Right. I want to talk about personal and professional struggles that you may have faced. Was there anything, whether with Wander Beauty or in your past ventures that 
you thought I cannot handle this, but then you came out on the other side? You know, I feel like that every day. I'm not going to lie to you. Like (laughs) it's, I literally wake up every morning and I feel like I'm putting out fires. Like I look at my phone, not when I wake up right away, because I first, I like, I meditate, I do my ginger water, I do my stretching. And then I'm like, then I look at my phone. And when I look at my phone, I'm not going to lie. Like we've grown the business like 321% from 2017 to 2018. 2018 to 2019 was another hundred percent. Like we're growing so rapidly. Obviously when you're, the bus is moving forward at that pace, the wheels are kind of falling off to be honest. And so when you're growing that quickly and you're building a business, like there are things that are growing wrong every day. And so I kind of, when I go to sleep at night and I shut off my phone about 20 plus minutes before I go to sleep and I'm laying in bed and I'm doing my 20 minutes of meditation before I sleep, I'm like, wow, I made it on the other side. I made it through today. And like, I go through that daily. Like I don't go through that on a, oh, I made it through the year. I made it through this crisis and this, you know, shortage and out of stock. It's like, I'm kind of going through it all simultaneously all the time. And I'm, it's a miracle I'm alive and I've co-founded and run four companies. And at some point I want to (laughs) retire and write a book about it. Oh, I can't wait to read that. What about something that you have just flat out failed at that like did not work out, didn't make any money, something that just, again, fell on its face. And what did you learn from that? Oh, I, this is really a sad story because I launched a culinary business in, God, I think it was like 2008 and it's called Behind the Burner. And we did tips, tricks, and techniques for food, wine, mixology, and nutrition. So imagine like your modern day food blogger, food content show, where we'd give you all these like great tips and we'd go to celebrity chefs and go in their kitchens and show you all their tricks. And like, it was so much fun for me. I love to cook. And so the amount of passion, excitement when I would walk in to a kitchen or I'd go to a vineyard or like I'd learn about wine or I'd learn about, you know, food. I was so inspired personally. And I was in this journey where I was just growing and learning so much. And we built this great content network and we were syndicated on NBC, but the revenue model just like didn't work, right? Because we had advertisers and we had sponsors for every content episode. And sometimes we'd have six-figure checks and sometimes the phone wouldn't ring for weeks. So this ebb and flow of being up and down was not sustainable. The revenue model itself was flawed and it was not scalable. And so we ended up shutting down the company, but it was so painful for me because I actually feel like it was an incredible journey for me and I really enjoyed it and learned a lot. Oh, it's like a little baby. Yes. It's it's painful, but you have to learn. You have to learn that not everything can be a passion project. You have to set up your revenue model. You you have to be a profitable business if you want to survive long-term in this industry, in this world. So you can't be reliant indefinitely on outside capital. And so if you want to have a profitable business, think about that at the beginning. And that was my flaw. That was my mistake. What about now with Wander Beauty? Were there any hiccups or struggles early on that you're like, we got to fix this quick or else it's not going to work out? Um, All the time. There were many. (laughs) Uh, Everything from like, you know, we really had to reinvent how to make product and how to bring ingredients in at high quality and high concentration levels. For example, like why would Wander Beauty make a moisturizer? We make the dive-in moisturizer because literally... 
our 1% pentavitin in our formula locks in moisture on your face for 72 hours. And for someone who gets on planes and goes to the gym and is active and is moving around like our client is, she wants that. She doesn't want to moisturize in the morning, moisturize again in the afternoon, moisturize in the She doesn't want dry, chapped skin. She wants beautiful, lustrous, radiant skin. And you have to use really quality ingredients to do that. So this concept of like, we would have to source the wrong ingredient, get the packaging, do all this stuff. It's just logistically, it's very, very tricky. And I feel like we spent a lot of time investing in the right people and the right systems and processes to get things working. But during that process, everything broke at least a few times. You just said a keyword investing, which was my like kind of concept of 2019 was investing in myself. So I want to talk about personally, when you not even with Wander Beauty, but in the very beginning, when you decided, okay, I'm going to launch businesses, or I'm going to at least be an entrepreneur. Did you invest in any type of business coach or program or anything? Like, I would love to hear about the investments that you personally made in yourself to get to where you are today. I um, went to business school. I got my MBA. I think that was helpful. What was most helpful about getting my MBA was that I built a huge network of people in business. And many of them went on to be successful entrepreneurs and some not successful entrepreneurs. I learned equally from both, both the successful and the unsuccessful. So I really feel like meeting people and building those relationships and learning from the challenges and the risks that they took and then also the mistakes that they made helped me avert a lot of crises. And I think the more I absorb knowledge by reading, networking, meeting people, um, I also was an advisor and invested in a lot of companies. I've invested in over 60 companies myself. So investing in companies taught me a lot. It taught me about what works, what doesn't work, how to build a team, um, challenges and problems these companies would have. I would see them, I would live through them, and then I would avoid doing those things at my business. And so I think that it was a kind of mutual relationship between building an ecosystem of other entrepreneurs. Right. So basically surrounding yourself with like-minded people because that's what you're going to be around anyway. Mm -hmm. And what about personally, like in your circle, because I have noticed this even with my own businesses, I came from corporate America nine to five. So now that I'm trying to launch my own business, it's really hard to talk about with people that have no idea what steps there are to take or that aren't doing the same thing. So who did you surround yourself in those early days? I I just met entrepreneurs. Like that's really what I did. I made it a mission of my life. I would, you know, in random things, like I would see people on TV, I would just send them a LinkedIn message and be like, Hey, I have these specific questions. Do you have 10 to 15 minutes? I would love to talk to you. And, you know, have an ask. Don't just like, oh, I want to, like, I want to meet you. Like, a hundred people want to meet a successful entrepreneur. That's not the point. The point is, what do you want to actually, how can they help you? And how can you help yourself? Identify what it is that you really want to get from them and be clear and concise about what the ask is. And you're much more likely to get a response if you are clear and concise about your ask. And so a lot of people email me and ask me things. And I spend time and I actually dedicate a little bit of my time every Friday to give back to the community, to talk to other entrepreneurs, to talk to college students, to talk to you know people who want to take the leap into entrepreneurship and really spend time helping them with actionable stuff that I can, you know, check off their list or make introductions for them that are going to result in real things happening for them. 
And what about, excuse me, friends and family? Were there any criticisms or just confusion? How did you deal with that aspect? It's really funny because my mom just like looked at me one day and she's like, you worked at Goldman Sachs. Like a lot of your friends just like stayed there and like were lifers and then just, you know, got promoted. And she's like, why wouldn't you just want that like corporate life? And I was like, mom, I'm like, I'm just, while I admire that and I think it's amazing, I am my personality is to be a disruptor. Like if there's a way to do something, I want to find a new way to do it. And I was like that when I was four years old and I was, you know, putting together Legos. So it's just a personality. Like I'm not satisfied with the status quo. I want to innovate. I want to create. I want to find a better way to do things, you know, across everything in my life. And so I think that that's kind of what it really is. What about any negative feedback on on social media or even personally, like how do you guys deal with that? Because people have a huge fear of starting anything because they don't want to deal with negative feedback. So what are your steps to approach that? You know, the good comes with the bad, like, you know, the magazine cover, the press coverage, all of it comes with, you know, people reaching out to you personally and attacking you. So you have to be ready to deal with that. And that is part of the journey and that is part of the process and it's part of the learning process. And so I feel like that's what it is. And while I was starting out my career and you asked me just a question ago about feedback, like everybody has feedback. My mom had a feedback. My dad had feedback. Ultimately, you have to look within yourself and understand who you are and what you want to become. I always tell people, I'm going to close your eyes literally for a moment of silence and just imagine where you are in five years. Just what is that picture? Do you see yourself? Do you have kids? Do you not have kids? Are you working? Are you not working? What are you doing with your life? And then open your eyes and think about what are the steps? What are the people I need to meet? What are the jobs I need to do? What are the skills I need to build to get to that five-year vision? And so then lay out in very granular terms the milestones you need to meet to get there. And then set an action plan and make it happen. And so that's really... Uh, important thinking about all of that. And and there's no way to just have the good and not have the bad. You're going to have it all and you need to be prepared for that. You're very confident in your message and just in your overall persona. Did that come to you naturally or did you ever have to work on confidence? Because not at that's all. something everyone struggles with. This is, this is the joke of the century. If you met five-year-old me, 10-year-old me, like introverted, shy not outgoing, in the kitchen, parents were entertaining and throwing parties, like literally hid in the kitchen, didn't want to say hello to anyone. And I really feel like my first job out of college, I worked at Goldman Sachs. I was still quiet, still hardworking. I just feel like my life has been about being a sponge. So when I had my first job out of college, I sat in meetings with big business leaders, big heads of corporation, and I just listened and I learned. And I have two ears and one mouth. And that's how I used my senses. I listened more and I talked less. And I absorbed from so many people around me until I built my own confidence, my own knowledge base, and my own own leadership and management and communication style. And it was all from looking at other people and learning from other people. Basically modeling other people that you wanted to be like, because I hear that a lot with entrepreneurs is modeling. 100%. I I had no skills. I had no confidence. And I built it all and grew it all from 
you know, surrounding myself with people who had confidence and who had skills. And your partner sounds like he's super supportive. You said you, you know, he was opening drawers or, or cabinets <laughs> and things were just falling out. I would love to hear that dynamic of, you know, early in the days where you guys, did you have to deal with the business and then have to say like, oh my gosh, please just understand what I'm going through. Like, I would love to hear the, how you keep up your relationship while also launching a business while having a baby on the way. Listen, it was not easy and it continues to not be easy. So I love that like people post all these great pictures of their family on Instagram. Everything's so perfect. Like my life is so far from perfect and I, and I own that and I wouldn't have it any other way. When I got married to my husband, he was, you know, a decent bit older than me. We were late to start a family and there was just like, we were doing so much in our lives. We focused on that. We then had kids and having kids when you're older has, you know, some securities because you've built up a nest egg to be able to do it and you have enough money to build infrastructure to make it easier for you. But at the same time, you don't have the energy level at all that you do when you're 10 years younger. So, you know, we both had to make a lot of sacrifices. We were both entrepreneurs. Um, my husband worked for a family business. So he kind of had a sense for what this is all like, but never with the kind of gusto and passion and like workhorse mentality that I have. Like he graduated from college and he worked with his father and he went to work every day and he'd come home and he wouldn't get on his computer. Yeah. He'd answer a couple of emails via his phone at night or the next morning. But I mean, I would literally come home from work, eat, and then turn on my laptop and be on it till two and three in the morning every night for years of my life. And he was like, you just work all the time. I was like, but I love to work and I'm moving the ball forward and I feel excited about what I'm doing. And so it was hard for him to understand my mindset. And I think he grew to appreciate and understand who I was. But I think that we had to give each other a lot of support along the way. I think when we had a family, it became incredibly difficult to challenge to, to kind of juggle and figure out when our kid was sick, who was going to stay home. And when one of us had to travel, could the other one be grounded and not be traveling for work at the same time? And we still go through that. And we both have two, we have two young children, seven and five. And every single day we're working on our marriage. We're working on our family. We're working on our partnership and we've survived, you know, almost 10 years together. And uh, it's a work in progress. <laughs> we're still working on it. Uh, so far, so good, but we're still working on it. What about personal routines? Because it sounds like you're balancing so many different things every day. Are there specific routines? You mentioned one earlier about your morning. Can you walk us through your either morning, daily, and evening routines? So routine is very big for me because it gives me that kind of structure that allows me to sit and focus and perform. So when I wake up in the morning, I meditate for 20 minutes. I've been doing transcendental meditation since the seventh grade. It's what I need to center myself before I start a day. I drink water, um, lemon water, ginger water. I take my um, thyroid medication because I have autoimmune disease and take a thyroid medication. And then I like kind of stretch, sometimes do a streaming workout on Obey Fitness, um, sometimes get up early enough to go to the gym, not all the time, um, kind of see my kids off to school. They have lunches that need to get packed. They have breakfast that needs to get made clothes that need to be put on. They do a lot of this stuff themselves. So I'm very excited about the fact that we've raised very independent kids because they've had to fend for themselves at a very young age and they just kind of do it. Um, and so they actually remind us <laughs> what needs to get done. I think it's pretty amazing. Um, and then I go, I answer all my emails and 
when I get into work, I do something what I call is deep work. And so when I get into the office, I've already cleaned through my inbox. I've dealt with all the busy work and responses overnight um, that needed to be made. And I focus on things that require my real thought, like deep thought, strategy. Um, I've had my breakfast. My brain is alert. I'm, I've had my sleep overnight, so I'm awake. And I want to make big decisions and really engage with people and talk with them for important decision-making in the morning. So whether it's like a very critical team decision or meeting we need to have, or it's like a strategy pipeline, I like to do all of that in the morning once I get to work. Um, and then I continue on with all my other like email busy work. I kind of batch my emails during the day. I don't sit at my desk and check email all day. I actually find that to be highly ineffective because then you're starting work and starting projects and doing documents and taking breaks in between to answer email. And I think it disrupts my train of thought. So when I'm doing something, I give it all my attention and I focus on it. We have a all hands on deck team meeting on Tuesday mornings. I don't bring my computer to the meeting because I don't want to be on my computer. I want to be engaged with my team, with every department head giving their updates. And so I feel like I lead by example by not being on a device and like sitting there and, you know, checking Instagram. So I think that's really important. And then um, I kind of work through the whole day. I listen to a podcast on my way to work. I listen to a podcast on my way home. I like to learn new things. Uh, I come home, I see my kids, I unwind, I get them to bed, and then I start working again. Sometimes I go out, I have speaking events or dinners with friends and things like that. So I think I've become a little bit less of a nerd and I'm not on my computer every day till 1 and 2 and 3 a.m. like I was in the early days. Um, and I'm enjoying that too. I was going to ask how you unplug. Just, does your partner remind you like, hey, let's take a vacation. It's been a while. Or do you just know, you know, once a month we're dedicating this to a family time to vacation? Like what, how are you setting that time aside? I unplug on a daily basis. I feel like I need it daily. So I either like go to the gym or I swim, which is like great vision time for me. Um, I think that that's important in a daily basis. I think also for our relationship, like the two of us go for walks together a lot and we just like talk. And then we're like not on our phones. We're not in a restaurant. We're not eating and drinking. We're just having real conversation about what's going on in our lives. And we're out of the house. So we can't be distracted by the kids, by our phones, by anything else that's happening. And I think that's, you know, that's an investment we make in our marriage. And I think that's an important one. And I think that, of course, we love um, to go away on vacation. I don't think we go away as much as I would like. Um, our kids are actually really busy with the activities and sports and stuff like that. So it makes it a little harder. Um, but we have a home down in Miami. We live in New York and we try and get away I actually got back today. Uh, we try and go there as often as we can and get some sunshine and come back. Oh, how nice. I'm from Florida. So yeah. I am familiar with getting down to Miami and in plugging. I need it. I need it. Yeah. What about finances? Because this is the part that scares anyone, in my opinion, the most is getting started with a company. I know it's varied based on what project you're launching, how much you need to set aside. But I want to talk about um, you know, struggles financially? Like, was there a point where you maxed out a credit card? Did you have to take out a loan? I want to know how you overcame that because that is, I think, one of the scariest parts of starting a business. So I definitely took financial risks. I don't recommend that people take the kind of risk that I did. Um, I am just a risk taker. I believed I had a vision, I had conviction, and I was determined to be successful and refuse to fail. 
And I always put my money where my mouth was. So in all the companies I've started, I've always invested my own capital. I believe in that. I was fortunate enough to work in finance, work very hard, be very frugal with my expenses, and just save a lot of money um, to be able to take those risks and do that. I think that everyone has their own personal threshold. There's no right answer on how much you should risk. I think that when you are in a career and a job where you're making money, you should definitely be, you know, mindful of the fact that if you're ever going to be an entrepreneur, like you should just set aside a little bit of a nest egg for your family, like in, you know, the rainy day fund and potentially set aside capital that you really believe is risk capital that you want to risk on yourself. And that amount varies depending on where you are in your career and what your career is. And I set aside money and I said, this is how much I'm willing to risk. And I risked just that. And I think that's why it's a good idea to get investors to de-risk the opportunity of building a business. What's something surprising about launching a business that as you've really you know, done this so many times now that you're like, okay, I didn't realize that would happen. And now you realize how to deal with it. But it was just surprising in the beginning. I think hiring people and building a team, it's like you think that people are committed and dedicated and like you assume the best in everything. And then sometimes you have a couple bad experiences and you're like, okay, I'm going to be wiser next time. And I think that it's, it's about getting the right people who are committed, dedicated, people who set goals. People who actually set goals are great at achieving them. People who have difficulty setting goals have an inability a lot of times to achieve them. So I think that it's about understanding the kind of people that you work best with and surrounding yourself with those people. And they can be very diverse and very different from you, but they need to share your vision and ethic of working and achieving. Absolutely. And what about Wander Beauty from its original inception in 2015 to now? What's changed over the years? Everything has changed. So, you know, <laughs> um, the business has changed. The, the messaging has been more refined. Um, being in an environment where people really care about clean beauty has made us be even more proactive about that. Being focused on sustainability, everyone cares about that. We are so um, focused on every shipment we send, reducing any excess packaging, inner cartons, removing them where we don't need them. We don't want to create more waste in this world. We just don't. And so I think that we are really in terms of a brand, a team, a vision, we're ever evolving and everything continues to change on a pretty much daily basis. I would say that's true for any business is usually the way it starts is it's not the way it ends. So when people are like, you know, I'm so committed to this one vision or one execution, it has to go this way. It's like, no, it'll probably change 14 times in the first week because I've personally dealt with that too. Okay, great. Yeah. What about um, in terms of the products that you guys have? If someone wants to check it out and maybe try something new, what's a top seller or something that you really recommend that you see works for pretty much everyone? So it's really interesting. We have increasingly been seeing that our clients have a huge appetite for skincare and they really come to us for that because they believe that a lot of their luxurious skincare is in glass bottles that sits at their bedside table and they can't take it with them anywhere. Um, and so I really recommend, I mean, I love um, from our brand Heroes in terms of our brand that like people really like attach to. I would say our Baggage Claim Gold Under Eye Mask, which I mentioned. Um, I would say our Dive and Moisturizer is amazing and really, really works. Our Lip Retreat Oil, which is a hybrid between 
um, giving you a little bit of the shine of a gloss, but it's a lip treatment at the same time. I actually have really dry lips and they're chronically dry. So this is like a lifesaver for me. Uh, in terms of complexion, I would say Nude Illusion Foundation is incredible. We're known for our mascaras, Unlash Volume and Pearl Mascara and Mile High Mascara. And we have new categories launching this year. So we're going to be having some really amazing things. One holy grail product that I would recommend to anyone who suffers with problematic skin, whether it's acne or it's, you know, um, any acne scars, any sort of like signs of aging, wrinkles, um, and, and things like that, fine lines. I really recommend, recommend just overall introducing a retinoid into your routine because that rejuvenation, skin rejuvenation, resurfacing that you see from retinoid that's a tangible result that people are really excited by. So we we launched a new product in the last few months called Do Not Disturb. And literally it's that. Before you go to bed at night, you take one pump of Do Not Disturb. It's 1% retinoid. And it literally at night while you're getting your beauty sleep is rejuvenating and resurfacing your skin. It's removing dead skin cells. It's you know, stimulating new skin production. It is really incredible for reducing the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles and, um, and also great for people who have acne. Love that. I, I love, love do not disturb. It's a personal favorite. I need that in my life. Cause I've, I've heard so many things about retinol and retin-A that I get. Yeah. Confused, and retinol is just a weaker version of a retinoid. And I really recommend if you want results, go with the 1% retinoid, which is what we have. All right. So adding that to cart as well. <laughs> what about what is next for Wonder Beauty? New categories, building out our global business. I really think that we have a huge opportunity to service so many more amazing people around the globe. We've kind of built a bit of a footprint in Southeast Asia. We're in Hong Kong, Singapore, Philippines, Australia, New Zealand um, via Sephora. We're also launching additional international markets with Sephora. We're going to be building our presence in the EU this year, launching in the Middle East. So a lot of global growth. Love that. And final question, what is the best piece of business or personal advice that you've gotten? So interesting. Um, I think it's take care of yourself. And I know that sounds crazy, but if you are going to run a successful business and you're going to give it your all you need to be at your 100%. You can't be sleep deprived, drained, cranky, not well fed, living on sugar and be a great leader. You can't. You need to take care of yourself however you need to do that whether it's, you know, for me meditation, swimming, you know, trying to eat although I love to eat all the wrong things. Um <laughs> trying to, trying to eat um so that I have the brain power to be able to endure those long days. It's an endurance game. I'm in this four times over. It's an endurance game to be an entrepreneur and to be still standing and to be growing and launch, you know, working and leading a global brand that's won 30 beauty awards in the last four years and innovating and creating incredible products and a brand and a community that loves to use them. And I need to be on my A game. So you have to take care of yourself. It's like when you're in an, um, on a plane and they say that attach your you know, if there's an emergency in the plane, put your air supply on first and then do it for your child. You literally have to breathe. You have to be able to be able to breathe first yourself and be great at it and be able to be functioning and alert and awake and engaged before you ask anyone else to do the same. 
So take care of yourself first. So, so true. That's, that's a good reminder for 2022. Like that's a good goal, just self-care. So if anyone wants to find you specifically or Wander Beauty, where can they find you? The best way to find me is at dgugnani on Instagram. So at D-G-U-G-N-A-N-I. And I do respond to DMs and I like and comment on people's posts. Um, I love to build community there. And um, if you want to find our brand, it's at wander underscore beauty on Instagram. We're also online at wanderbeauty.com. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. There's so much value in launching a business, learning about beauty, and just good advice overall. So thank you. Amazing. Thanks for having me. Take care. Well, thank the stars Divya was on this podcast to help us understand how to start a business, how to launch product, who to surround yourself with. Like I said, selfishly, this was really timely for me because I'm going through a lot with trying to launch my yoga business and just thinking of how I'm going to keep up the podcast. Like what systems do I need to use? Who would I, who do I need to just keep in my support circle? What do I need to think about for the future? Is there something I'm missing? These are the conversations that I want to start having more of because again, I think there's a lot of books and things out there that are like, oh, I just worked really hard and got to where I was. Or, you know, with the help of a few mentors, I was just up on my feet and my business is running. And it's like, no, I want the nitty gritty. Like, how much did you save? How much did you invest? Like, literally, how did you deal with a partner? How did you did how did you have kids in the middle of all this? Like, these are all things that are really important that I uncover. So I want you guys to be involved in these conversations as well. So if there's anything that you want to ask, if there's topics that I'm not covering, if there's guests that you really want on, please, please, please reach out. You can do that on Instagram at Chelsea Rife. You can write into the podcast actually, which is hello at inmynonexpertopinion.com. You can visit inmynonexpertopinion.com. And I usually like to post little questions, stories before I have the guests on. But again, if there's just a topic or guests or anything that you're like, you know what? I think this person would be really valuable for you to have on. Let me know because I am all ears. Um, if you've listened to this podcast for the last two years, I have everyone on. I've had someone that's done tarot card readings. I've had someone that's done colonics. I've had a chiropractor. I've had personal trainers. I've had on uh, influencers like to me, there's just so much we can learn from everybody, especially in today's age where everyone kind of has like their own niche and expertise and a little bit of everything. So I don't like to limit myself to one type of person. I think if we can add value to, you know, your life, my life, anyone listening's lives, like that's important to me. So please don't hesitate to reach out. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you can actually get all the new episodes. They come out every Thursday. And make sure you leave it a five-star review if you enjoyed it. Of course, if you have any feedback, please let me know. And tune in every Thursday. We will see you next week. 